Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Cancer Show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Sachs. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with them. Because he has a lot of chip spots. <laughs> oh, right. Monday, September 16th. And welcome to the season 13 broadcast premiere of The Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am your co-host, Matthew Zachary, and I am a proud 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And I'm your co-host, Andy Goodman, journalist and young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for The Stupid Cancer Show. Alrighty, it's not okay. That 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Socks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives at stupidcancershow.org. On tonight's show, Obamacare, what you need to know. The Affordable Care Act is one of the most transformational pieces of health legislation in our nation's history. We'll be joined by cancer rights attorney Monica Fazza. Fazzi, she's the co-founder and COO of Triage Cancer to dispel the myths and focus on the facts. But what you need to know about how this law will practically impact your life. And young adult breast cancer survivor and blogger Lisa Duncanson in the Survivor Spotlight. And our self-ingratiating applause, as is par for the course. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Matt, you sound so clear. I would like to inaugurate uh, Maureen Sweet with her own microphone this evening. Hello. I almost broke it before the show. I'm doing great. How are you? Look at me go. I'm I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing, Matt? You have a line. I do have a line. It doesn't feel like it should come after the applause. But anyways, my name is Maureen, <laughs> Chief Everything Else Officer at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at Chemodeck is our handle. So send me your questions and feedback at any time using your hashtag SCRadio. Yeah, we, we sound kind of different. We do. What happened? Well, we've totally... Uh, I guess, renovated and gone modern with our Stupid Cancer Show technology. And uh, big thanks to Jason Bish uh, from... What's his Twitter handle? I don't believe he has a Twitter handle, but if you want to check out, check out Nerds Limited online. 
That's his, that's uh, his, that's his, his Twitter company, handle. Yes. Nerd Limited, yes. <laughs> and a uh, epic thank you to the folks at Eli Lilly and Company Lilly Oncology for uh, giving Stupid Cancer a, an incredible, uh, incredibly generous grant that allowed us to make this show possible into the uh, 21st century technology that it has become. For those of you listening live, we hope that you hear a higher quality broadcast, but we are actually recording these shows now for archiving on our servers, which are now going to be hosted live on our brand new WordPress, thank you, Kenny Kane, at stupidcancershow.org. All 275 previous broadcasts will be there for you, all 12, 13 seasons. And tonight we're kicking off uh, season 13, if you can believe it's season 13. Wow. <laughs> our 276th show. Um, and it's it's pretty amazing. So, uh, and special thanks again. Kenny and Jason did a incredible job building out a brand new studio. If you haven't seen it, there are photos on my photo uh, Facebook wall, Kenny's Facebook wall, the Stupid Cancer Facebook wall, Instagram, Twitter. It, yeah, it's all over the web. It's on the moon. Yeah, it's yeah. everywhere. I feel like we've stepped onto the moon, and, and I'm waiting for like a cable to disconnect, and we're gonna float off into outer space. But I don't think that will happen because it probably would have happened by now. Yeah, I, I think we're good to go. So, that's so quiet. It's amazing. I know it did. <laughs> the cancer show is now old enough to have a bar or bat mitzvah. <laughs> Very oh, nice. 13th season, yeah. yes. I guess that's my cue to, to play this stuff then, right? <laughs> oh, yes. In higher quality. Yes. HD <laughs> Jewish. <laughs> anyway. I, I like it. It's awesome. It's awesome. Anyway, so as Maureen was saying, we actually now have a... Uh, we kind of had it before, but we didn't really promote it that much, but we are... Live tweeting the show at Chemodeck, yeah. and we welcome any listeners who are live. Of course, obviously, if this is recorded or listened to the archive, uh, this will not work because we will not still be there. Tweet at me. I'll you can still tweet back at you. It might be a little right. You late. can always tweet at us if it's not relevant because the show isn't live. Or you could leave a comment on the archive page. Yes, that is true. Uh, but at Chemodeck, and the hashtag is SC Radio. Yes, sir. Awesome. Or call our eight hundred number, and we will talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> that always works too. Exactly. Well, um, I wanted to briefly uh, reflect on a, a, a rather sad moment that happened in between the end of last season and this season is that we had a, a passing within the organization, our community. Uh, an incredibly young woman, uh, incredibly young woman named Lauren Scott, went by the uh, her own personal hashtag, Lola, uh, came to the uh, OMG Cancer Summit in 2012 in Las Vegas when she was, I think, 13 years old and uh, really kind of took us by storm. We weren't typically used to having someone that young um, under our circus tent, so to speak. But she really took to it, and she found a home and a family and people who loved her. And she came back this year for 2013, and she uh, sadly uh, passed away this summer uh, as our sort of chief teenage stupid cancer national spokesperson. She was sweet, she was lovely, she was wonderful, and she will be missed. So I will ask for uh, a few seconds of silence to honor Lawrence Scott. Okay, thank you. So with that, I will turn it over to my lovely Annie, Maureen, and Kenny on the uh, what have you been doing since we went off the air? When did we go off the air? We went off the air at the end of July. About six weeks ago. A lot of time has passed. So besides Indeed. building the studio, Kenny. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, which took three weeks or four weeks. Something like that. Yeah. It's been an incredible process and uh, a stressful one at times, but highly rewarding now. So uh, what did, 
to, to our listeners who don't pay attention to the to the life we live yes, on online Facebook. in between. Oh, what did I do this summer? I uh, well, you rode your bike. I rode my motorcycle <laughs> a lot. Yes, uh, I enjoyed not commuting home late on Monday nights, even though I love doing the show. Um, I enjoyed uh, working a lot. We've got a lot of new stuff going on. Uh, with our programs and our uh, our outreach, we've got a lot of meetups going on uh, everywhere, and we encourage you, if you're listening and are wondering how you can get started with local support in your community, to check out uh, the Stupid Cancer Frequently Asked Questions at support.stupidcancer.org. Uh, it's pretty easy to get up and running off the ground, and uh, the Stupid Cancer store has a, a slew of new products. So that's also very exciting. You are indeed the Zen God of our e-commerce <laughs> platform. Well, that uh, that keeps everything moving with forward momentum when people shop at our store and support us. Yes, Maureen, you did a lot of traveling. You know, I've been yeah, I've been I've been hopping around. Um, traveling that I've done most recently, um, upstate New York is a whole other world to me because I am from Ohio. So it's not really New York; it's upstate New York. It's upstate New York. It doesn't count it's, as New it's York. It's a whole other thing. It's mm-hmm. not even yeah. You say New York, and then there's upstate, which is everything that's not Long Island. Um, <laughs> and so I got to go up to the Catskills this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, spent some Fancy. time. Yeah, saw a really sweet waterfall. Um, that's up there. It's it's beautiful up there. Lots of mountains, lots of stuff like that. Um, and this past weekend, I did basically the same thing, only in southwest Pennsylvania, um, so southwest of Pittsburgh. Um, although I did, for any of you Midwesterners and Pittsburgh fans, um, I did go to Primanti Brothers, um, which is the the sandwich place in Pittsburgh. Are you familiar with it, Matt? There's only one sandwich hmm. place in Pittsburgh? Yeah, there's only one. Um, <laughs> it gets pretty busy. Um, no, Bramanis is famous. Um, apparently, they, they're, they're at a, near a, a loading dock or somewhere where like a lot of like the meats and things used to be dropped off for all the restaurants okay. in the city. Um, and so all the truckers needed one sandwich to go. Um, and so in addition to normal sandwich things, they put your french fries and your coleslaw on the sandwich. Ooh. Fancy. And it's pretty delicious. I'm sure. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess I always talk about food on the radio show. But that's my latest food update. Permani Brothers, if you're ever in Pittsburgh, Strip District. You should become a professional food Instagrammer. I, I sort of am already. You're borderline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on my way. Yeah. <laughs> She's in the spectrum. Yeah. 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 Although I did Instagram a lot of kittens this weekend. I, you know, I oh. became the internet. You, yeah. That was my greatest that was, that comment was in history. Line, yeah. <laughs> You have officially become the internet. Yes, it's a problem. You can never have too many kitten pictures. No, you really can't. I have so many more on my phone that are just never going to see the internet because oh, I felt like it was too many. <laughs> just, just text message to me. I'll appreciate everything it. In moderation, <laughs> everything in moderation. Respecting your limits. You have week. boundaries and that's good stuff. Yes, yes. All right, Annie, we're going to get to Lisa, but tell us quickly, uh, um, what have you been up to? Yeah, I don't know. I guess my August was pretty boring. I did... One very exciting thing that everyone shall know about in October. I actually read, a, uh, I'll just real quick, I read a thing online today about the most annoying people on Facebook, and one of them was that when you vaguely announce something exciting coming up in your life, but you don't say, you say, I can't share where it is right now. Oh, uh, vague booking. Yeah. So I just, that's what it's, How do you know that? That's what it's called. When vague you're, When you're very vague on when Facebook. You, when you tease, I get it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I did that, and I'm going to vague radio speak right now. Everyone shall know about it very soon. And that's, Ooh. Yeah. Fancy. Mysterious. And it, it is, I will give one hint. It is cancer survivor related. I would never have gone in that direction. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> yeah, otherwise just uh, All right. hung out in the city. Okay. Well, 
Um, it is now time to bring on our first guest of Season 13. Yes. Lisa Duncanson is a four-year breast cancer survivor of Stage 2 ER-positive, PR-positive, and HER2-positive, also known as triple-positive. And she's a musician and owner of a bar exam prep company based in California. She writes a blog about her experience with cancer at www.cancerfree2b.com, and she's a former board member of nonprofit AWOL, A Way of Life After Cancer. Lisa, welcome to the show. Lisa Duncanson. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? It's uh, great to hear from you. Thanks for coming on the show tonight. Oh, oh, thank you for having me. Well, um, I think we should just let's just jump right into it. I mean, it's not quite October yet, but uh, breast cancer is uh, is coming on up, and and you kind of had the uh, the whole lunch special there. I did. I had a few extra size actually, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm really, really grateful to be here in more ways than one. Um, so Pinktober is not exactly my favorite month. We get inundated, but uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here ahead of it. So. Okay, so let's let's talk through your story. Tell us about your life prior to cancer. What were you up to? Um, symptoms, identification, and the fabulous slide into excellence that is diagnosis. <laughs> Great. Um, prior to getting diagnosed, I noticed I was a little tired, but it, I thought it was because I was working a lot. Um, I have my own business, and I into playing with a band. I play stand-up bass and do a little singing, and everything seemed to be going great, and uh, other than being a little tired. So uh, checked that out, was dismissed, uh, looked healthy, couldn't be anything like cancer. Uh, found out later. Um, with a mammogram that it was cancer and that's what was slowing me down a little bit um, and that began my whole uh, journey um, but yeah there were symptoms that I I felt were uh, necessary to bring to my doctor's attention that were really missed and they were they involved night sweats and being tired and, and uh, other symptoms that I later learned from an oncologist were actually symptoms of breast cancer and just when I'm detected in that way. So Okay, Annie? Uh, yeah, so I, yeah, so why don't you tell us a little about your did you have surgery, did you have a mastectomy, lumpectomy, treatment? Mm-hmm. Give us the whole uh I all of those. Yeah, so so I decided to I had breast cancer in my right breast and I decided to have a bilateral mastectomy. So I had a uh prophylactic mastectomy for the left, um, given the increased risk of recurrence and thinking that that would reduce it and so far so good. I had neoadjuvant chemo, so I had the surgery, um, and I also was on Herceptin for about a year. I also did radiation. Um, so it was an aggressive type of cancer, and, and we decided to, I decided to go uh, with aggressive treatment. Um, so I was in treatment for a little over a year, um, hung on to my business for as long as I could, hung on to as much of my life for as long as I could. Um, ultimately with, you know, some complications, uh, post-surgery infections and just becoming weak in treatment, I had to shut down my business and it, you know, had a major impact on my life, obviously. Um, so that's kind of, that's how that went. And why don't you tell us a little about everything since you're several years out? 
Yeah, I'm, I've been out of treatment for a little over three years, so I've been NED, which is awesome. Um, it took quite a while to get back kind of to things. I'm back full board now and have been for some time, but it, it was that process of transitioning from treatment the day it ended to your life returning was really frustrating. Um, I had this idea in my mind that there was going to be a switch that would flip and after treatment ended, my life would just go back to normal and it absolutely did not. <laughs> um, but it's it's good and uh, it took a long time to get to the point where I could master full-time days and with a business you really need to have as I'm sure you all know, more than full-time availability for a day. So that took, that was a real challenge and uh, just kind of really felt like I had to claw my way back, you know, to everything, whether it was having a social life or getting back into music. Um, there were complications with surgery and limited range of motion. I, for some time, didn't know if I'd be able to play the bass again, which was real heartbreaking, but fortunately I've made my way back to that too. So um, that's been... Uh, a process so it, it's not an instantaneous thing to go back you know the day treatment is over for sure well here's a quickly slanted question was uh being an attorney of any benefit to you through this process <laughs> well first of all i don't practice law but uh, and i don't play a lawyer on tv either i train lawyers but yeah i have gone to law school and it was a it really was an advantage all i could think about the whole time i was fighting with insurance companies and and doctors and unfortunately some I did have to fight with. I had a doctor who thought I had had two chemo treatments and I'd had four and I thought you've got to be kidding me. I mean read my file. But all I could is how fortunate I was to have had that legal training because it was so critical to be able to be an advocate and I was trained to be one and and to have to be one for yourself on a daily basis it's it's quite a you know especially when you're going through treatment but knowing uh, you know, I'm very excited about your that your next guest and hearing about Obamacare. But knowing that I had rights and knowing that I could get plugged into places like the Cancer Legal Resource, Loyola Law School, and just knowing about those things and knowing how to advocate for myself was a huge benefit. Absolutely. And, and why don't you tell us a little about your blogging? You have CancerFreeToBe.com. Why don't you tell us a little about that and what you've been doing? You know, as you get back in the swing of real life, as you've adjusted to life after having cancer. Sure. Um, the blog initially was a way to keep my family um, on both sides of the country informed and to sort of limit, you know, the time I had to spend on the phone and just keep my exhaustion level under control and let people know the information they wanted to know when they wanted to know it so they could check in if they wanted to and just kind of ease that up. And then it really became very cathartic and uh, really part of my recovery and, and how I dealt with all of the experience and just uh, it also connected me with a whole network of people online, which is amazing. I, I can't even imagine having, you know, my, my aunt died of breast cancer in 1994 and her world was much smaller than mine in that sense. And to be connected with people that are going through exactly what you're going through was just phenomenal. So the blog really uh, did that for me. Um, it's also kind of taken on. It's how I've met. Uh, it's how I'm here today on on the show because I met Matt, you know, at the at a blogging summit, and it's just I've met so many amazing people through this. And um, it's also been uh, sort of a uh, sounding board for some of the things that some of us or I feel are, are 
real problems in in the cancer arena and uh, some of the nonprofits that maybe we think should spend more money for research and uh, some of the there is a real group of people who are uh, pretty strongly uh, well pink is is not necessarily offensive but it's not a cure and and we're kind of you know and breast cancer sort of is in the forefront of all the cancers and you know we need research for all cancers and so it's been it's been um, initially just uh, a way I communicated and then a way to vent and get better and and it's still that for me too and it's also been a way to be plugged in with a whole different audience and connect with people who are going through many of the same challenges so it's been a really great experience well we have an expression not unique to us or cancer but it's you know we <laughs> we've we've come so far but yet there's still so much work to be done and we look at where we are today at the state of having a radio show about young adults, having cancer conferences specifically for young adults, having standards of care and whatnot for young adults. But yet still, of the 72,000 diagnosed each year, the overwhelming majority still face this lack of navigation, lack of community, lack of what's next. And, you know, that's something I really picked up in your messaging is is, is what these biggest challenges are, but then how do we... We kind of know what the answers are, but how do we get them implemented and put into practice? Uh, because it would have been great if we had them. And, uh, you know, right. these days, you know, people still don't have access to them, but they exist at least. Right. It, it's sort of like, I, I mean, I, I've known as, as, you know, just because I've had cancer, everyone who knows someone who's had cancer that I know, you know, I get connected to them, which is a wonderful aspect of this, but it it's amazing to me how it's the constant reinventing of the wheel, and that's the most frustrating thing to me, that everybody is so uninformed, not their fault, but there's no preparation, there's no um, hospitals which or, or surgeons or wherever the first line of defense is for a person once they've been diagnosed should have, you know, certain information. It's just not there. I mean, it, 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 in my opinion, I mean, I've recently assisted a couple of people, talked to a few people, I should say, who were diagnosed in the last couple of weeks. They're getting information from me, you know, and they're not getting it. And I don't mean that I'm the big information person. I just mean that it's that's that's sad, that that information about where to call, who to get support from has to come from, you know, friends instead of um, their doctor from, you know, that, that, that seems to be a, a real kind of gaping hole, you know. And what kind of response have you gotten as a blogger? I see that you still update it rather frequently, uh, you know, even mm-hmm. post-treatment. So what kind of a response do you get from people? Do people newly diagnosed reach out to you? Uh, you know, do you see it as a resource? And how do you keep it, you know, how do you keep finding, you know, content to write about? Um, wow. Um, mostly, the Gosh, there are newly diagnosed. Um, most of that comes from Twitter, actually, and then you know blog posts that I might put out on Twitter and uh, the BCSM chat, the Breast Cancer Social Media chat, that's every Monday. Um, that welcomes, sadly, a lot of uh, newly diagnosed. And as far as topics, a lot of fellow bloggers challenge one another to write about you know particular topics. Um, I think you know my favorite sort of uh, topic is just how to navigate life post cancer and kind of the cancer the post cancer landscape, which is you know there's always talk about new normal and which I cannot stand because it implies an acceptance that 
your life altered, and clearly my life has been altered, and, and anyone who goes any kind of traumatic experience has an altered situation later, but the idea that you have to accept something less, and, and so I think living every day and every day being a challenge, um, and, and it's not bad. I, I have a great life, and I'm very content, but um, every day there's something to write about. You know, every time I you know, if I'm teaching a four, eight-hour class, I feel it in my arm, and I'm reminded of the fact that I have had a lymphadenectomy and that lymph nodes were taken out, and that's why my arm's a little sore now. And, you know, so there's just never an escape, really, from that experience. And so as much as um, the blog, I hope, is, is helpful to others, it's, it's definitely about my navigation as well and just survivorship and... Um, so that's kind of what that's about. Well, we have a few, just a minute or so left. I wanted to uh, have you sure. talk to our listeners about, you know, sort of a, what, again, it's kind of a slanted question, but someone that's newly diagnosed mm-hmm. is kind of going through their oh shit week and they don't really want to focus on anything for that matter except I don't want to die. But once they get past right. that moment, you know, what, what what's missing? What would you tell them if you could have an audience with all of these individuals, mm-hmm. what would your core message be to them? Um, kind of twofold. The first thing would be to become as informed as possible about the specific type of cancer you have. They're all different. You know, I'm a very positive person. I'm triple positive. That's very different than other types of cancers. Um, so getting as much information as you can about your cancer and um, and then the other thing is to remember you were never a statistic. I was told horrible statistics. I never shared with my family, never shared with my friends um, until I beat those statistics. And, and I don't even consider it beating it, but just to remember that you aren't. No doctor can tell you when you're going to die. They can't tell you how much time you have left. And to always remember that, you know, um, as ugly as it might look. And, and cancers with youth, with young adults, young with children, they're so often very aggressive, and it's very scary. But the one piece of advice I did get from a doctor that really kind of hung with me was, or stuck with me was, you don't have diabetes, you don't have heart disease, you don't have a lot of the maladies that somebody who's older has. So you are stronger, and you can do this, and you can fight. Um, somewhat helpful, you know, but to remember that you're not a statistic and to be your own advocate and to make decisions that are informed and that you have you have some time to make them too. I think there's this pressure to get it out, you know, and um, so I think that would be the most important thing to me. Well, Lisa, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on our, oh my gosh. our show tonight. Well, been, thank you. Yeah, it's really been, an honor, and I'm so so impressed and amazed all the time with everything that you guys are doing. It's just awesome. So, so the, thank t- you. the Twitter awesome. handle is at CancerFree2B, the number two, the letter yes. B. The uh, blog is CancerFree2B.com. Uh, Lisa Duncanton, yep. thank you so much. Good luck with everything. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All righty, Kenny. It is officially time for the Stupid Cancer News. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Matthew, it's been too long since I've done this, but do you know that you can head on over to events.stupidcancer.org? That's right, events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matt, we got some meetups coming up in New York City, San Diego, right outside Chicago, Illinois, Seattle, Washington, 
Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Denver, Colorado, Cocoa, Florida, Raleigh, North Carolina, and that's it. That, that's it? That's only, what, 12? Yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> okay, folks, save the date for the uh, 7th annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults next April at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas. Yes, sir, OMG 2014 is going to be bigger and better than ever. For more information, to join the mailing list or the official Facebook group, visit omg2014.org. Matthew, the fall season is upon us, so it's time to stock up on some new threads like a Stupid Cancer brand. Hoodie, hat, gloves, more. Surf on over to stupidcancerstore.org anytime. We're open 24-7 for great deals on great products year-round. Be proud to wear Stupid Cancer. I always talk to you when I do this. I don't know why. But I'm not even looking at you when you say it. I know. It's just a comfort zone thing. You are I, you are I, my... I bring you comfort. You're my CEO teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> That's my new band name. Okay. Check out the all-new Stupid Cancer Show at stupidcancershow.org, your online destination to listen to all of our shows and subscribe for free via Apple iTunes Podcast, iHeartRadio Talk, and Blog Talk Radio. That's stupidcancershow.org. All right, everybody but Matthew, time is running out to register for the second annual OMG Cancer Summit East in New York City on September 28th. Only a few slots remain. It's free, and it's going to be awesome. Learn more at East. .omg2013.org that is east.omg2013.org and that is the latest from, from Stupid, Stupid Cancer. Okay, it's time for the big guns. And by big guns I mean she actually has big guns. She actually has big guns. And she beats me up when I see her in person. She actually does. Really. She could totally kick your ass. Monica Bryant, returning champion to the Stupid Cancer show. I think this is her fourth appearance is a cancer rights attorney and chief operating officer for Triage Cancer, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing education and resources on cancer survivorship issues. Please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, Monica Bryant. Monica. Welcome. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, we are missing you. I, I can't believe it's been almost two weeks since I've seen you in Nashville. I, I, I am sort of experiencing those symptoms of withdrawal. Okay, as long as you have it as well, we, we can keep our karma together. Okay, sounds good. And don't worry, I would never actually beat you up. No, that was Kenny. No, you, oh, could, you, you couldn't take me. You could kill Kenny, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for having me back on tonight. No, I'm excited, and we're, we're really excited to kick off this season with a very, very important discussion. We have the next 30 minutes uh, which will, I'm sure, be filled very quickly with no short supply of things to discuss about all things Affordable Care Act, also known colloquially as Obamacare. Mm -hmm. um, is, has that become an offense, or has he actually adopted that as something that, oh, that's, we're just going to call it that? I think that the administration has sort of embraced it, um, and it seems to be something that uh, people have gotten on board with. So before we get started, uh, I'd like you to tell the listeners out there about your organization, Triage Cancer. What's that all about? Sure. So Triage Cancer is a nonprofit uh, organization that is dedicated to providing education and resources on the entire continuum of cancer survivorship issues. And we do it in a couple of different ways. So the main way is we host the Speakers Bureau. So if an organization or a hospital were putting on an event and they needed speakers on particular topics, they could come to us and we would connect them with 
speakers. And we have people who talk about um, fertility. We've got survivors. We have people who talk about exercise and stress. And then, of course, uh, Joanna and I are uh, on the road quite frequently talking about sort of the... Joanna being your sister, Joanna Morales. Joanna Morales and CEO of Triad Cancer right. and my sister. She wears many hats. Right, we could throw on first uh, names so, between just you and me, but I want to make sure that we uh, we let our folks know who you guys. I appreciate that. Thank yes. you. Okay. Yes, I appreciate that. The random Joanna so, that just so floats around the show. Talking about. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so, and then we have a you know our website and an online blog where we try to put up as much information for people and resources that people can use, um, all free of charge. So the common theme that I always get from people is like, oh, free lawyers for cancer. Can I sue my insurance company? I'm, <laughs> sh- <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot more than that. I know it's a lot more than that. But can you give us the general gist behind why you chose to go into this as an attorney? Sure. So I have this sense of uh, justice, and I believe that everyone can be a good advocate. They just need the right tools and resources to be able to do that. And I think it's especially important when someone is faced with a serious illness like cancer to give them as many tools as possible to get through it. And not only to get through it, but to get out the other side sort of in the best possible uh, place. So it's not enough to just survive the illness, but we want people to be able to survive the illness and still be in okay financial health um, and emotional health and all of those things. So uh, giving people information about the laws that might pertain to them and the benefits that they might be entitled to enables them to do that. And you also want them to still have a job, which is a very important part of the whole legal aspect. It's a, it's a very important job, um, a very important part. And in fact, we partner with um, a fantastic nonprofit called Cancer and Careers, quite frequently to talk about the issues of uh, work and employment. And sometimes that means taking time off, and sometimes that means working through treatment. Um, but that there, there's resources and options and rights for people to do both of those things. And there's also laws to protect people so that they can keep their position at work. When I was diagnosed, I didn't work for five months. Um, it was just, Chemotherapy was just way too tough. And, uh, you know, legally I was able to keep my job and they held it for me and I did get paid as well. Um, But that's something that people worry about because you might go back to work a little sooner than you are ready for, or you're worried about your stature in your company or a promotion or things like that. And it's really important for the legal aspect for people who, especially young adults as they're, you know, getting ready to kind of take off in their careers, know that they have rights to protect them from losing their jobs. Absolutely. So, I mean, I'm assuming you're, you sound like you had a very generous employer. Um, the, the law in question is the uh, Federal Family and Medical Leave Act, and that does entitle certain people to take 12 weeks off from work uh, to deal, deal with a serious medical condition or to be a caregiver to somebody with a serious medical condition. Um, so there's definitely some laws out there, and, and actually I would say there's a, we have a blog on the FMLA if people who are listening kind of want to know, know some more. Um, and then I would also say there's, there's some great webinars that we're going to be doing partnering with Cancer and Careers specifically for the work issues because they are, they are a big deal, and so many young adults work so hard to get those 
first and second jobs sort of starting their careers and then they get hit with an illness and it's it's a hard addition to everything else dealing to deal with. And how has the healthcare law changed a lot of this for young adults? So I think that the Affordable Care Act is really, I mean, there's some good things, there's some bad things, but I think really it's uh, it's going to change the landscape of healthcare in this country. And I think there's some things that have already happened that specifically impact young adults. So, for example, um, as of 2010, insurance companies weren't allowed to deny selling a policy to someone under the age of 19 just because they had a pre-existing condition. So that's a big deal and a big change. Um, the rest of us, you know, that are over 19 by a few years and only a few years um, are going to have to wait until January 1st for that to go into effect. But uh, it's coming. You know, it's, it's definitely coming down, down the pike. Um, another really big deal is that thanks to the ACA, now nationwide, young adults up to the age of 26 can stay on their parents' health insurance plans. Are they going to be actually monitoring that or measuring that to see if that actually does reduce, you know, disease or chronic conditions? Like, what what advantage is that besides saving money? Like, from a long-term health, long-term health care, like, we're giving more people access to stay on their parents till the 26th. Will that encourage more people to get screened or go to the doctor, or, or are we dealing with an invincibility issue where they're not going to really care anyway? Well, I think that's sort of an unanswerable question with any sort of, you know, firm answer. But I do think that the chances of, of a young adult getting screens for things and getting preventative care are significantly higher if they are on a health insurance policy that will cover at least a portion of that. And I think and we that- do know that over... Three million young adults now have access to health insurance specifically because of this rule. And I think just to speak for myself, uh, as a 23-year-old employee of this organization, um, I am still on my parents' health insurance, and it it has been very helpful for me um, to know that I do have that safety net until I'm 26. I'm still using their insurance, um, and I don't. I probably wouldn't be seeing doctors or getting things checked out that I might have concerns about were I not on that insurance. So just from the perspective of someone in that age bracket. Monica, was 26 a random number, or is there a specific reason why they only get stands at a 226? So I think with everything when it comes down to writing and creating laws, there's always a balancing act between the various competing interests. And I think that 26 came from the idea of looking at where people are at the age of 26. It's often about the age where individuals may be graduating from college and sort of a year or two into their first jobs. Um, it might be that they're, you know, a few years into their first job, but those jobs are entry level, so maybe they don't offer benefits like health insurance. Um, the idea of 26, I think, is really about where people are in their lives. And at 26, do people have additional income to be spending on health insurance? And if they do have additional income, are they going to choose to spend it on health insurance? I think I remember when the law first got passed, Chuck Schumer's daughter uh, was under 26 and in law school. I'm, I have to, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's, I, it's all coming back to me. I remember Chuck Schumer, you know, obviously he's a New York senator, Demo- big-time Democrat, 
and he was a very big supporter of the law, and he kept talking about part of the age thing was that his daughter was in law school. So it's not just, you know, kids who are slackers. It's kids who are in graduate school, in law school, in medical school, and they don't have access to full-time jobs where they can get insurance. And if you're in law school, you don't really have time to work either. So that was all part of the conversation. So one of the things you brought, you said when you were, we first started talking about it were that there were things about the law that you don't like. So as an attorney, as a, you know, things that you see for young adults, things you see for people who have cancer, what are some of the things about the law that you think need improvement? Well, it's a, it's a tough, I mean, it's a tough thing to say. And I think really what for me is, is challenging about this whole thing is that it's such a wide sweeping reform and there's so many different entities that need to weigh in. So we've got federal agencies that are releasing regulations. We've got states that are deciding how things are going to work in their own states. We have the Supreme Court weigh in. So things have taken a long time to be flushed out, and we're still even waiting on additional information on what's going to happen in these these health insurance marketplaces. So, uh, and there's been some delays of certain provisions. So I'm not sure I would necessarily say things are bad or that I don't necessarily like things, but in, from an advocate's point of view, I wish we had more concrete information. All right. My, I have, my question is really, um, and again, this is coming up. Every time I ask this question, I feel like I'm being so ignorant, but it just sounds like I think I know what I'm talking about when I ask it, if I could put it that way. The Affordable Care Act forces Americans, in a sense, if if that's the wrong word, I apologize, to have to have health insurance, right? So otherwise they pay a penalty. The maximum for a family is like, what, 300 bucks a year or something like that, um, which is a lot of money for families if, you know, a year uh, based on the average income for a family in this country. But the insurance companies are the ones that seem to be upset about this, but won't this law be giving them more business? So... I'm going to pick this one apart, if you don't mind, a little bit. Sure. So, and I'm not trying to be evasive, because I will eventually get to the root of your question. But part of this whole individual mandate or shared responsibility is about the idea that for this whole law to work, each entity needs to do its part. So we employers have to do their part, the government has to do its part, and then we as individuals and citizens have to do our part. And our part means that we have to buy insurance. Now, it sounds potentially scary to some people, but there was a study done, and they actually found out that only 9% of the country is actually affected by this provision. And the reason that is is because for 91% of us, nothing's going to change. So if we have employer-sponsored health insurance, we will keep that. If we have Medicare or Medicaid, we will keep that. If you have some other type of health insurance plan or a private health insurance plan, you'll probably keep that. So it's really not going to affect as many people as I think people think, if that makes sense. That, I've never heard that before. Nine percent. Only nine percent of the country is affected by this. Yeah, and then that same study found that actually only two percent of those people are going to end up actually paying the penalty. 
or the fine or the tax or however you want to talk about this payment that you're going to be making. So people the are burning because there's individuals that are exempted. So people are burning things in effigy over two percent of the country. Yes. So here's one aspect of uh, you know I work in the media and I know that the media gets a bad rap. I have to say the Affordable Care Act gives us a lot of fodder to talk about in TV news. So one of the issues of why it's going to cost more is because you need a certain number of healthy people to also join the insurance to, to get into the healthcare system. But what you're going to see more of with the law is more sick people getting into the system, which obviously is a good thing, but insu- but for insurance companies, that is a bad thing. So the people who might not, you know, likely the people who would not get on the insurance rolls are going to be the healthy younger people who perhaps, you know, age out of their parents' plan and freelance or for whatever reason don't have access to health insurance through their employer, they might not purchase it because they think, I'm young, I'm invincible, I'm healthy, I'm not having a baby anytime soon, therefore I don't need health insurance. So those are the people that we need to get into the healthcare system to pay for the people like Matthew and I who cost the healthcare system a bazillion dollars a year because one, you know, x-ray scan, whatever, you know, medications, drugs, you know, doctor's appointments, specialists that, you know, people who have cancer need, um, you know, we're just a small part of the healthcare system, but that is part of the complaint of why the healthcare law is going to be so expensive. And it pisses me off because it's like, too bad, deal with it. You've been riding the gravy train for a long, long time of making money, and uh, you can't blame sick people for getting in the system. But what, So one of the things that you brought up, I know that you and I have been emailing about this before, was that people weren't going to lose their um, insurance. And some companies, uh, you know, it's obviously not a lot, but every time a company decides to do this, it becomes, you know, it becomes headline news. Companies are getting creative to try to find ways to not pay the fine and not offer insurance to their workers, and one of the ways they're doing that is cutting workers' hours. Uh, some I know things like White Castle, Trader Joe's. Um, Papa John's. Papa jo- I think Papa John's may have backtracked. I can't remember if it was them or Darden. Darden owns like uh, Red Lobster and all those chain restaurants. Um, a lot of those companies have been saying that's their way of getting around paying the penalties and also giving their workers insurance. So, you know, from a legal standpoint, from what you're seeing, from what you're hearing, what do you think about the companies finding creative ways to not have to pay into the system? So I actually think that that it's a little bit um it's a little bit more complicated than what the news media is reporting and by no fault of their own because it is a complicated situation. But I will say this, that there is no requirement for companies to provide any sorts of health insurance benefits. That is not required. It never has been and it still isn't today. There are some states that that mandate coverage, but there's no federal requirement. So I feel like it is unfortunate that companies who are making the choice to reduce particular benefits for their employees are doing that under the auspices of the ACA because it's just not the case. Um, and then the, the issue about cutting hours even, the way that the mass formulary works to determine how what's a large employer does take into account part-time employees. 
So they'll still potentially have to pay that fine. So I think that it is just unfortunate that companies are making the choices to, to limit benefits, but I think that it's not appropriate for them to be blaming the ACA because it's not really about the ACA. And, and I will also say this, just to be very clear, even if somebody works for an employer that chooses to stop offering health insurance, the great thing about the ACA is starting January 1st, 2014, there will be a new way for people to buy insurance. So we'll have these new marketplaces, and every state's going to have one. They're going to be a little bit different in each state, but it's going to be essentially like a health insurance travelocity or orbit where people can go in and look at their different options. And there's going to be some very strict regulation of these, so you're going to have different types of plan options. There's going to be caps on the amount of uh, out-of-pocket limits and the deductibles, and then there's going to be a minimum level of coverage. So if an employee is faced with their employer saying, we're not going to offer you health insurance anymore, it's, it's not like it has been in the past where now if that employee has had a cancer diagnosis, they're kind of in trouble because they're going to be able to now go buy insurance independently. Monica, I have a uh, question. A friend of mine that I went to college with that I've known for a thousand years just posted a really interesting comment on my Facebook wall that uh, the penalty for individuals without coverage is going to be 100 bucks in 2014. Uh, there is fear that he posted here that a lot of healthy young people who are vibrant with careers will opt to pay that fine rather than pay for a product that they don't think that they need. Your thoughts on that? So he's absolutely correct. In 2014, if someone chooses not to purchase health insurance, doesn't have health insurance in any other way, they will have to pay, if they're an adult, $95 for the year. That fine goes up significantly moving forward. So in 2015, the fine is $325 for each adult in your family. And in 2016, it goes up to $695. So, so it de-incentivizes them. Sorry? It de-incentivizes them. So the idea is that it will never be, the penalty will never be more expensive than the cheapest bronze plan available to you in your state marketplace. So at some point, it will become just as cost effective for you to buy the bronze plan as it would be for you to pay the penalty. Got it. And in that situation, you then have health insurance coverage. So if you do get sick or get hit by a car or fall off your bike, you have that coverage. So is it entirely possible that a healthy, you know, 28-year-old says, I'm not going to buy insurance, I'm just going to pay the penalty? Absolutely. However, moving forward as time goes on, we're hoping that that will, that sort of seesaw will get to the other side given the cost effectiveness. And what do you think about just the current climate, you know, politically? Um, you know, it's been the big issue with the healthcare law has been, straight politics of, you know, it becomes cool for the Republicans to speak out against it. Even but they tried to repeal it like a thousand times Yeah, already. they try like every day. But then you have a <laughs> candidate, you know, running for president like Mitt Romney, who had a program just like it in his state, but that gets kind of swept under the rug because it's not a popular talking point for the Republican Party to harp on. So what do you think, you know, what do you think is going to happen 
uh, especially with the next president. I hate to even think about it. We have three, what, two years till the next presidential election. Uh, you know, obviously the health care law will be in the depths of it by then. And I'm sure whoever the Republican candidates are will all be in a fight to the finish to see who could repeal this the fastest. So what do you think are the biggest challenges for the law politically? And what can, uh, you know, lawmakers, the White House, supporters of the law do to ensure that, you know, the facts versus the myths are out there to keep this going? Well, I mean, I think we're doing it right now. We're talking about it. We're talking about the facts. We're talking about what we know right now. I think next election we will have some more information, and I think it really is going to be up to all of us who are impacted by this law in a positive way to speak up about it and to contact our elected officials and to make sure that they know what kind of impact the law is having and put sort of, you know, names and faces and stories to these kinds of things, like your story about being on your parents' insurance plan. That's a big deal. You know, you're a successful professional that's out there making a career, but yet this provision is helping you do that. And I think those are really the big things that we need to remember as a community, that it's up to us to make sure that we have people elected to office that are going to keep implementing this law moving forward and to improve it as we see how things actually are rolled out. And, you know, I, I used to work in Congress, and I'm a big advocate, um, and I think that, that that is really the way that our system is set up, and I think that as a community we can be a very loud voice. Monica, what, is the, uh, what are the number one or two or the top three things that ignorant people – espouse negatively about the Affordable Care Act? What, what, what is the public perception uh, that's caused so much strife? Or is it just Republican media hype and Fox News? Well, I mean, I think there's, you know, change is scary to a lot of people, myself included. We, we generally, as a race, don't like change. Um, but I think that there's also a lot of fear of the unknown. So because this is such a complicated law and because the way that the law was rolled out with the agencies and the states having to step in, it's, I mean, I do this for a living and it's hard to keep up with all of the different changes. So I think people are, are scared because they don't know enough to not be scared. Um, And I think that there's this sort of concern that this law is taking away people's choice. So they're not going to have choice in what kinds of health insurance products they're able to purchase. And frankly, it's, it's just not true. I mean, I read today that in, um, in Illinois' marketplace, there's going to be uh, six different companies selling policies, and there's been 165 plans submitted to the marketplace. So frankly, I think that's almost too much choice. You know, you've got to wade through, through so many different types of plans. So I think that's a big piece is that people think they're going to lose choice because they don't quite understand how things are going to work yet. And I'm hoping that as, you know, the the marketplaces are going to be open October 1st. So October 1st, people are going to be able to go and find out what's being offered in their states. Um, And frankly, I think the best place for people to start is healthcare.gov. And there's a tab on the top that there's a learn, or um, sorry, I just blanked on what it's actually called. Uh, there's a tab on the top, and then you can put in your state name, 
and it'll show you what's happening in your state. So, so, oh, go ahead. Start enrolling in October 1st, and then the plans will start January 1st. Very cool. Yeah, I'm on the site now. I've never actually been on it. Um, it's definitely a lot of... Get insurance. Okay. Yep, get insurance, and then if you're an individual, if you're a family, if you're a business owner, all of the above. So one of the questions I have, and I know this is, like, super complicated, but one of the things I'm interested in is why don't we have a Medicare option for young people, like a single-payer system where, you know, you can just get into the system like Medicare, like, you know, my parents have it, they have a supplemental insurance because – you know, they're older and they have health issues, you know, more health issues and they want to make sure they're not paying as much out of pocket. When will we start to see an option like that? And do you think we ever will? Because some people, you know, the whole joke is, you know, keep your government hands off my Medicare. Well, what do you think Medicare is? So what, when do you think <laughs> we'll ever see a system like that? Because, you know, people like to give Medicare a bad rap, but do you mean doctors take Medicare? No, the answer to that question is three words. President Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Maybe, but what do you do? You think that that could be a viable option to get more people into the healthcare system, and also to perhaps, you know, maybe even just if, whether it be expanding Medicaid. So you bring up a good point about expanding Medicaid, and that I mean that is a big thing that the Affordable Care Act tried to do. So in the Affordable Care Act, people let me start with this: people are often surprised to learn that no matter how low your income level is, if you don't fit into another category, so having a disability or being a minor child or being a pregnant woman, in most states you're not going to be eligible for Medicaid. So the ACA actually expanded the program and said anyone who is below 138% of the federal poverty level, which is about $15,000 a year, would have access to Medicaid. So that was supposed to be nationwide. And then the Supreme Court stepped in and actually said that the Congress didn't have the power to mandate that states do this, but they have the option. So you have different states choosing to do different things. So in some states, they're going to expand Medicaid. And frankly, I think there's going to be a lot of young adults who are below 138% of the federal poverty level who will be eligible for Medicaid. But in states that aren't expanding, there's just no other good option. So, for, so, and if you want to know where your state is, uh, we've got some information on our website at triagecancer.org. And another fantastic resource is the Kaiser Family Foundation, where you can go and see all kinds of things that are happening in different states. Monica, the question but more about the... In terms of this whole... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I had a question about the exchanges. Um, how, can can you talk a little bit about how that is going to foster the economy and, and grow new businesses, or are the old insurance companies just going to like try to absorb that and prevent further competition? So I think that I mean part of this all is you know I don't have a crystal ball, so well then you have to get off the air now. <laughs> I know I shouldn't have told you. I know you were hoping that I did, Matt. Yeah. But I do think that, that there is going to be sort of these marketplaces are creating an actual market. So I think insurance companies are going to have to now compete with each other to give people good products for good prices. 
And I think that one of the other things about this is that people are going to have some financial assistance options when they buy in these marketplaces. So based on your income level and your family size, you might actually get some help paying your monthly premiums or reducing the cost of your medical care. So if you have a $25 copay when you go to the doctor, if you qualify for these subsidies, maybe your copay is only $5. So I think that because of these financial assistance options, more people are going to start to want to buy in the exchanges, so more of the companies will end up competing with each other and will end up with better products. That was the right answer. Mm -hmm. So you apparently do have a crystal ball, yes. Do you have to do you have to be a nonprofit to really get people to understand this? I, I, I say this with love that we always have to start charities to actually do anything in this country to make a difference. Uh, is, is is there going to be like the Sherpa guide human beings out there that encourage people to understand this, or are they going to have to be completely reliant on the nonprofit sector to be their own advocates? I I don't think so at all. In fact. So there's been grants that have gone out to nonprofits and for-profits and individuals to actually train them to help. They're called assisters, so they will actually assist people to enroll in these marketplaces. So to help not only figure out how to fill out the application, but to help people figure out what kinds of plans might work for them and what financial assistance options might be available to them. So we talk about it as the Travelocity because most people, many people are online right now and are very familiar with online products. But there'll be a toll-free number where you can actually call and speak to a human being, and there'll be actual in-person offices where you can go to the office and get help. And there'll be help in different languages, too. So I do think that, although it's perhaps slow to be implemented, there is going to be sort of a, a wider audience than just nonprofits to help people figure this all out. And one thing I want to remind people when they get all bent out of shape about the mandate, I'm pretty sure in New York it is illegal to not have car insurance, and people seem to com- yeah, and people seem to comply with that just fine. So I hope that, and you know what? I don't. Re- I'm 32 years old. I don't remember a world where you couldn't not have health insurance. Have sorry, car insurance. So I hope that there's a day when you can't not have health insurance. And that there's not the stigma of the government and Uncle Sam is out to control my life because they're making me have health insurance. They're doing this for the good and better for to make things better for everybody. But you're trying to de-narcissize the average American. Which and, is true. Yeah. But what I'm hoping is that that day will come. The, nar- the de-narcissification as long as well Facebook well and Instagram is still tried, around, there'll I still tried. be selfies and there'll still be narcissists. But I hope that one day people can kind of see the light that n- perhaps government is not always out to get you and is sometimes looking out for you in that way that your mom looks out for you, that you just want to be like, Mom, shut up, go away. <laughs> but here, here, like you're paying your mom rent, though. Whatever. For the benefit. But of- she's saving it in a savings account, so right. I have it when I need it in case of an emergency. All right, Monica, just a minute or so left. Uh, what what are the big takeaways, then, that we can leave our audience with? So I think the big takeaways are figure out what your options are, and the best place to do that starting October 1st is going to be healthcare.gov. And I would say that 
especially as young adults, to not think that we're all invincible and that, yes, it might hurt a little bit every time you write that monthly check, but I'm going to guarantee you that writing that monthly check for your health insurance premium is going to be cheaper than paying for any kind of treatment out of pocket. Right. Well done. And but I think that as a community, we need to be more vocal about what is happening to us and the benefits of this law to make sure that it keeps getting implemented and it keeps moving forward and improving where it needs to be. Um, and we need to do that by talking to our elected officials. And frankly, even if you don't, you know, even if all you do is tweet at them, that's still advocacy. Right. It's a bit of slacktivism, but it's still advocacy nonetheless. Mm-hmm. It is. And for people who are truly lazy, we actually have a list of all of the congressional Twitter handles on our website at triagecancer.org. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, you don't see? even have to look for your number. <laughs> it Very makes nice. it even easier to stalk and... Fantastic. Yeah, share your message. Well, thank you again, Monica. By the way, for those listening, Monica can also be found uh, at the... Second Annual OMG 2013 East Conference in New York on September 28th. She will be speaking on this very subject matter, uh, the Affordable Care Act, live, in person at New York Law School. And uh, you can learn more at east.omg2013.org. We look forward to having you there as well. Well, I would be delighted to be there, but you're actually going to end up with Joanna Morales. You flipping around on me again? I, we are. We're sorry, but we haven't figured out that whole cloning process where we can be in two places at once. I thought that you were coming. You told. All right, never mind. Not for the radio. <laughs> for offline. All right, so you'll be getting Monica's wonderful sister, equally competent, Joanna Morales, live in a person. And now I have to go update the agenda. Thanks so much. I'm kidding. Sorry. We love you both. <laughs> so are you going to that Leukemia Lymphoma Society event on Monday then? On, yes, I'm actually speaking at that event. Right, so that's so jo- so Joanna's going to be here on Saturday, but you're going to be here on Monday. Yes, that's pretty amazing. Anyway, and if if you have any listeners who are trying who want to hear us talk more, they can just go find us on our events page and follow us around the country. Exactly. Well, thank you so much again, I'm Monica Bryant from Triage Cancer. You rock as always. The website is triagecancer.org and Twitter. Twitter on the Twitter, at Triage Cancer. Thank you, Monica. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great night. All Thank right. you. Bye-bye. All right, folks. I don't want to jinx anything, but I think we did it. I think we did it. We pulled off the show. We have a couple of minutes left, but pretty good. Maureen? Yeah, I mean, I only broke one microphone, and we're doing all right. I think so, so far. And yeah. you sneezed, but that's okay. Did anyone hear me sneeze? You know sneeze? what? I don't know. Sneeze at me if you heard me sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody sneezes. Everybody sneezes. Everybody. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's kick off the show then with our first closing sequence of season 13. Uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, our 276th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our guests tonight, Lisa Duncanson and Monica Fozzie. 
Join us next week as we welcome the inspirational filmmakers behind the new documentary, Nurses. If Florence Could See Us Now, produced by the nonprofit on nursing excellence, will be joined by the film creator, director, Kathy Douglas, and survivors Jonathan Van Noyes and Lori Mathers, who appear in the film, and survivor spotlight on survivor blogger and health activist, Jody Shoger. All right, subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. And check us out anytime at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Annie Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next Monday live. At 8 p.m. Have a great week.